Well, what a blessed Sunday already it has been, in time of praise and prayer, listening to a uh, testimony of, of salvation, giving glory to Christ, and also that song, good job guys, the song selection, and singing as well, reminding us the power of the cross. So here we are at the final three verses of John 17, our 14th sermon, 14th and final sermon in this wonderful chapter. I know that all of you would agree what a privilege it has been for all of us to study verse by verse the high priestly prayer of our, of our Lord. A once in a lifetime opportunity to come near to our Lord and listen in on His prayer and hear His heart to feel the heat of His words on the eve of His death, as He prayed, as He prayed for the disciples and for us. It has been a remarkable study, a life-changing study. I can honestly, with a clear conscience, testify to you that I have been changed by John 17. As I look back on the many weeks that we have toiled and labored through these through this chapter, I, would, I say to you, it has changed my heart. And I'm sure many, if not all of you, that have traveled this journey together through John 17 would agree that you have been changed. That the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart with Christ's prayer. And now you sit there tonight, this morning with a new heart, a changed heart, a transformed mind as we look upon Christ. Now for the last time, let us go to the upper room and listen to our Lord, for He is praying to the Father. I exhort you to focus your hearts, to, be, to give your best attention, because it will be over quickly. The cross of Christ is looming. Before you know it, our Lord will be in the hands of His enemies. He will be hanging on a cross dying as our substitute because the cross of Christ is looming. Time is short. Let us give our best attention to the last few sentences of our Lord's prayer. John 17. You know, I want to read the whole chapter again, but for our time, let's read 17, 20 through 26. And we will be studying verses 24 through 26, but let's read 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me 
before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You. And these know that You have sent Me. I made known to them Your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them. Let us consider once again the occasion of His prayer for His disciples and for us. The context is John 13 through 16. In these chapters and during these chapters, the disciples' hearts were breaking. It was melt, they were melting within them. They were drinking together a most bitter cup. What Jesus said to them right before the upper room discourse shattered their hearts. Throughout our Lord's ministry, our Lord warned them, our Lord taught them that one day He will leave and where He is going, they cannot follow Him. He repeatedly told this to the Jewish leaders that He had a limited time of ministry on earth and where He is going, they cannot come. John 7.33, John 8.21 records these words of Christ. And I'm sure every time disciples heard the Lord saying these words, they wanted to stop Him. Enough of this talk about you suffering. Enough of this talk about you dying and going away and leaving us. No, you are our Messiah. You are our Master. You are our King. And as was promised to David, you will establish your throne on earth with all your glory, majesty, and power, and we will reign with you. Enough of this talk about you leaving us. Well, in John 13... Christ said again to the disciples, A little while I am with you, verse 33. Just as I said to the Jews, you will seek me, but where I am going, you cannot come. Undoubtedly, they were surprised. They were greatly saddened that he was leaving them behind. He was leaving not just the nation of Israel, not just the leaders of the nation of Israel, that our Lord was leaving His own disciples. And Peter, you have to love this guy. You have to love his heart. He says what everyone is thinking, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me. You will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why will you leave us? Will you leave us, abandon us as orphans? Why can I not follow you now? For I am ready to lay down my life for you, Peter said. Is that not the heart of all faithful Christians? We long to be with Christ. We want to be in His presence. We want to see His face. We want to worship Him in person. As great as our lives might be here on the earth, all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, for us, it's not even a question to live and continue our lives on earth 
or to die and be with Christ. There's no debate, there's no argument, there's no controversy. It is far better to be with Christ, to be in His presence. Therefore Peter cried out, Why can I follow you now? And we see this acted out in John 21. If you remember, when our Lord has been risen, they're in the Sea of Galilee, the disciples out are, are out there in the Sea of Galilee, fishing all night, haven't caught anything. And uh, they see a man walking along the shore. And the man says, friend, have you, have you got, caught anything? And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And the man says to the disciples, throw your nets to the right side. And they did. And then they caught all this fish. And the Apostle John, the, the Lord loved, immediately recognized that it was Jesus. He leaned over to Peter and said to him, it's the Lord. Now, what did Peter do? I mean, you've got to love this guy. He puts on his cloak and he jumps in the water. I mean, he can't wait for the boat to dock on the pier and to be with Christ. He jumps in the Sea of Galilee early morning and he swims towards Christ because his heart, as in John 13, and his heart in John 21 was the same. Why can I not be with you? Why can I not follow you now? The believers' hearts were melting within them because Christ said He is leaving them. Go to chapter 16, verse 16, and some of the review of of our study months ago, Christ relayed again and spoke to their sorrow when He said, In a little while you you will see Me no more, and then after a little while you will see Me. He promises them that they will see Christ personally. Go down to verse 20. Speaking to their hearts, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will weep while the world rejoices. It's a salt and an open wound. Our Lord prophesies that while you are crying, while you are grieving, Mourning the loss of your Lord and Master and King, the world will laugh. They'll have a big party because they crucified the Son of God. But He makes a great promise. You will be full of sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He painted a black backdrop and injected the statement about joy in the end of that verse When he said, your sorrow, the amount of your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then verse 21 is that great illustration. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because the hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Moms, right? Is that not true? Maybe you might remember it a little bit. You might have some faint rec- you know, re- recollections of the pain that you endured in giving birth to your child. But the joy so outweighed that pain and sorrow, moms will say, I want another one. Right? Let's, let's go again. Right? More the merrier. Right? And that's what Christ is saying. Right? She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born 
into the world. The sorrow and pain of the mother is completely washed away when the baby is born. When you see that precious little life, when you hold the child in your hand, you don't remember the anguish anymore. Our Lord was telling them, when I die and no longer with you, you'll be full of sorrow, but that sorrow will turn to joy when you see me again. Verse 22, your hearts will rejoice. A promise of joy. And the permanence of that joy, no one will take that joy from you. Our Lord verbally, in sermonic form, encouraged the disciples' hearts, emboldened them, strengthened them by teaching, the, teaching them with the Word of God and promising them that He will come back. They will see Him face to face and He will grant them true joy, permanent joy. But for our Lord and for us, the Word of God is not enough. Sermons are not sufficient. And He modeled that by ending that sermon, lifting His eyes towards heaven and praying for the disciples. And I want you to remember, He's praying not just for the eleven gathered together in that upper room. He's praying for you, He prayed for you, and He is praying for you. And He prayed for me, and He is praying for me. In those dark times when our hearts are melting within us, in those uh, difficult trials when we're battling sin, battling temptation, undergoing, enduring the consequences of our sin, and we feel so distant from Christ, we feel so far away from our Lord, and our hearts long within us, Oh Lord, return! Lord, we want to be with You! Lord, I want to see You! Our Lord has given us the Word, and more than that, He has and he, he has and He is praying for us. He is indeed the Good Shepherd. He is the Kalos Shepherd. The Greek word for beautiful. Praiseworthy. Wonderful Shepherd. He is uh, the Good Shepherd because... I mean, we're just so selfish. I mean, the disciples, and you know, we're just so selfish. We're just thinking about ourselves. And the disciples are like, what about us? You're leaving us. What are we going to do? You know, three and a half years of investing our time, energy, and effort into your ministry, and you're, you're leaving us. And our hearts are full of such grumblings. Are they not? Our hearts are so self-centered and self-focused. We think about our, our sanctification, our knowledge of the Word, our families, our ministries, our careers, our struggles, our temptations, and we forget the predicament that Christ is in when He prayed for us. Consider the occasion in which He prayed for us. He is going to the cross. He is not going away on a journey. He is not going to another continent. He is going to His humiliation. The hour of His deepest sufferings. He is going to be separated from the Father whom He loved. He is going to the valley of the shadow of death, of the cross. 
And in that most dreadful hour, he is not, he is not concerned with his own needs. He's not concerned about his selfish interests. He's laboring to instruct the disciples and us. And in John 17, he's laboring to pray for us. I mean, I believe this is more difficult than washing feet. Arguably so, but I believe it's easier to wash somebody's feet than to instruct, encourage, and pray for them when your own heart is breaking and melting within yourself. Our Lord prayed for us while He faced the cross. I mean, what an example for us. I mean, every single person here, you know, to, to, one, to, to some degree our hearts are melting because of some struggle in our lives, some pain, some disappointment, heartache in life. And we can follow the example of uh, those who do not know the Lord and just be obsessed and self-absorbed and live uh, self-centered lives. Or we can follow the example of Christ. When we, are, when we ourselves are drowning, we seek to serve others. We seek to encourage. We seek to meet others' needs when our own needs are not being met. Example for all of us, example especially to men, especially to husbands, especially to fathers, Christ never said, you know, what about me? What about my needs? What about someone you know, teaching me or praying for me? His eye was not fixed on himself. It was fixed on the Father and was concerned about the need of the disciples. What an example for the men of our church. Now, what was his prayer? In John 1.18, Apostle John said, No one has ever seen God but Jesus, and whom Jesus, and Jesus who has made Him known. Our Lord reveals the Father. And so the prayer is a recounting of how the Lord revealed His name to the disciples. Verse 6. How has Christ revealed the character of God? Not in verse 8, Jesus said, I have given them your words. Through the Logos of Christ, the Word of Christ, He revealed the holiness, the love, grace, and mercy of the Father. The world rejected this revelation, but the apostles received this. So the first prayer is verse 11, Keep them in the Father's name. Keep them the truth revealed by Christ. That was his first prayer. His second prayer was sanctify them by the truth revealed by Jesus Christ. Make them holy by the truth of God's word. And we learned that all this for the purpose of unity. So that we might be one. And that is not the ultimate purpose God's intention is not for us to know God's Word, 
to be holy like Christ and just live this um, charmed existence as a church, pure and untainted by this world, isolated, separate from them, living in, in unity. That is not the Lord's will. So that, he said, we studied this last few weeks, that the world might know and believe in Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate earthly purpose of our Lord's prayer. He prayed for our doctrine. He prayed for our holiness. So that we might be united. So that we might be a powerful testimony that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. The ultimate earthly purpose of the Lord. But that is not the end of our Lord's prayer. His last few sentences, verses 24 through 26, contain precious, heart-strengthening truths, telling us the end of all things is not evangelism, which is such an encouragement to me, and I'm sure it will be to you. That the Word of God is not the end. That holiness is not the end. That sanctification is not the end. That unity is not the end. That evangelism is not the end. In fact, if the prayer ended in verse 23, it would be somewhat discouraging and disappointing. Because all those things are so difficult. All those uh, responsibilities, stewardships, all those tasks are so difficult for us, are they not? Studying the Word of God, knowing God's truth. It's labor, it's work. Sanctification, it's labor, it's work. Evangelism, missions, it's war. I was reading this week, um, you know, our church Zenga sites, you know, I love going on there and it's not waste, it's ministry for me, right? It's not, for you guys, not be wasting time. But for me, it's ministry. I have to do this, right? To see what's going on, what's in your hearts, and how you guys are wasting time. That's my, that's my ministry. And read of a sister asking prayer, tomorrow I'm going to jury duty. And I'm so tempted to read during jury duty. Right? But pray for me. I want to go and evangelize, share the gospel. I'm like, that's great. Praise God. I'm praying for you right now. So I prayed for her, waiting for a response, waiting for a report next day. She comes back and said, it was so difficult. It was in a small room, and it wasn't a chairs where we can congregate with all in pews, and everybody was facing forward, and it was so quiet. It was just a small room. I had so much fear in my heart. It was a difficult um, a context for me to evangelize. Everybody was reading their own material, and she said, uh, I must confess you all, she said. It caused me to fear. I looked around the room again, and folks, I have never in my life been so intimidated. Everyone was either reading or sleeping, and the room was still dead silent. Even as I tried talking to a magazine girl, the girl next to her was reading a magazine, I couldn't help but notice how everyone in the room could hear our every word. The thought of getting up and trying to strike up a conversation with someone else was so daunting. I battled in my heart against that fear of man rising within me 
sadly to say, I failed. Reading that, I was so proud of her. I was so encouraged by her. Because it's not about success or failure. It's about that, it's the striving. It's the effort. It's the heart behind the desire to share the gospel. So if Christ's prayer ended at verse 23, man, that's life. That's all, all we have to look forward to. I mean, the Word of God is great. I mean, sanctification is awesome. Unity is a treasure. Evangelism is a privilege. But that's it. That's all we have to look forward to. Battling our flesh for the rest of our lives. But Christ encourages us in a way that only He can. He does not end the prayer with evangelism. He ends the prayer with His own glory. He ends the prayer with our future with Him. He ends the prayer with a prophecy and a reminder of our eternal abode with Him in heaven. That we will see Him in heaven. And that's why when I studied these verses, my response was, man, I love the Bible. Man, I love the Scriptures. I love the truth. Because it is so powerful. It is so sweet. This caused Thomas, Thomas Manton, concerning verses 24 through 26, caused Pastor Manton to say, every verse is sweet, but this should not be read without some ravishment and leaping of heart. One said that he would not for all the world give up this wor- verse of the Bible. He said, someone said, I will not give the whole world for verse 24. J.C. Rao said concerning these verses, this is a singularly beautiful and touching conclusion to our Lord's remarkable prayer. We may well believe that it was meant to cheer and comfort those who heard it and to strengthen them for the parting scene which was fast drawing near. But for all who read it, even now, this part of His prayer is full of sweet and unspeakable comfort One more, A.W. Pink said, What comfort is here? What sweeter words for meditation than these of Christ? What assurance they breathe! Not one of the elect shall fail to enter heaven and behold the glory of the Lord. What joy is found in these verses. We see the heart of our Lord. In verses 24 through 26, just have four simple points. Point number one, Christ desires that we might be with Him. Christ desires that we might be with Him. Now some of your translations might have will instead of, I will instead of I desire. The Greek word is thelo, and it can be translated both will and desire. But throughout the Gospel of John, when this word is found, it is translated desire. Translated want. I mean, John twelve twenty one, Sir, we wish, we want to see Jesus. Same word. John sixteen nineteen. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask Him. Highly unlikely, Christ will pray a prayer of will to the Father. This is what I will. As if His will is different than the Father. By the context, it fits that our Lord is expressing His desire. The motivation behind this prayer. 
And he prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He went away not because he wanted to, not because he got tired of us. He's coming back not because he has to come back. Oh man, those Christians. Oh, those disciples. I have to deal with them. They're going to come over to heaven now. I've got to clean up after them and take care of them. Man, when are they going to leave now? I mean, that's not his heart. His desire is he wants us to be with him. And let me say this. His desire for us to be with him is greater than our desire to be with him. You think, yeah, I want to be with Christ. doesn't compare to how much he desires for us to be with him. See, if it was up to our desire, I mean, it's over. We'd have strayed away a long time ago. We will be with him because it is the desire of the Lord that we would be with him. It is such a joyous, delightful uh, statement of our Lord that he desires our fellowship. That our Lord takes great delight in the company of His people, that He desires fellowship with us, His heart is much set on it, that He indeed loves us. Second point, is that He desires that we be with Him for this purpose. Another henna clause, a purpose clause here. That they may be with me where I am too, in order that, that they might see my glory. That they might see my glory. They will see his humiliation. They will see his sufferings. And they will see his death. Christ's desire is for them to see his glory. It's a specific word that is used for the word see here in the Greek. It means to behold His glory. Implies, infers more than simply observing, simply seeing. It means, really in a sense, to enjoy the glory of Christ. Enjoy it. To look at it with interest, with a purpose of participating in what you are looking at. Right? Like when you, when you observe something, you, see, you experience that thrill of, 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 of spectating something beautiful. You experience it firsthand. That is the idea behind Christ's words here. For us to enjoy the glory of Jesus Christ, revealing the attributes of God. Hendrickson said, this vision of God and Jesus Christ is the transporting bliss of all the people of God. Transporting bliss of all the people of God. That was the cry of believers throughout history. Psalm 17:15. Ask for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire Him in His temple. This, these prayers of David were realized and will be realized in heaven when we will ourselves behold the beauty of Christ. First John 3, 2 Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. With our own eyes, we will behold His beauty. One more, First Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy. J.C. Rao said, We do not see Christ now. We read of Him, hear of Him, believe in Him, and rest our souls in His finished work. But even the best of us, at our best, walk by faith and not by sight. And our poor, halting faith often makes us walk very feebly in the way to heaven. There shall be an end to all this state of things one day. We shall one day see Christ as He is. We shall behold Him face to face. We shall actually be in His presence and company. If we rejoice by faith, how great will our joy be when we see Him face to face with our own eyes. End quote. So if you're, re- if you're full of joy this morning, your hearts are full of satisfaction and delight because you see Him through the Word of God, because you see Him through prayer, you comprehend Him through the faith of your heart. I mean, just imagine the inexpressible joy that will be ours, the triumphant delight that we will possess when we are in His presence and we behold His beauty with our own eyes, personally. Point number three, this glory is special because it is the glory that the Father has given Him because of the Father's love for the Son. It is the glory, the, the loved gift from the Father to the Son. You know, maybe you'll understand this. You know, as a child growing up, remember like seeing your mom and dad like love one another? And that was sweet to you. That was so beautiful to you. I mean, as a child, you see that and it encouraged you. It strengthened you. It, 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 it gave you a taste of sweetness to see your parents love one another and give gifts to one another. Jesus is a child that, that, that was beautiful in your sight. Well, that's what we'll see. Glory is not just Christ's inherent glory. Glory that we will see is the glory that the Father gave to the Son because of His love for the Son. It is that love glory. We will see the inner Trinitarian relationship that the Father and the Son enjoy in love 
towards one another. What a glory that must be. And what a privilege that you and I will have to enter into that mysterious place and see that love between the Father and the perfect Son. Believers in heaven will experience, will see and experience this glory and there will be an ever-increasing enjoyment of God not directed at us, not as if heaven begins when we enter it, as if we're in the throne room of heaven, that we're, in a, we're the, in the stage and all the lights are pointing towards us, we will enjoy heaven because we see Christ's glory given to Him because of the Father's love for Him. And we will see in His body the marks of the cross as a demonstration of Christ's love for the Father. And we will behold that and we will have ever-increasing delight and joy, immeasurable for all eternity. Final point. In heaven, we will have that same love towards Christ that the Father has for Christ. We will have that same love. Verse 26 Last sentence. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you, lo- you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I mean, isn't that awesome? Christ will reveal himself to us, make himself known to us, so that the love that the Father has for the Son, that perfect, eternal, complete love, may be in us. So we will have that same love towards Christ. We'll have this perfect love for Jesus. Unreserved, unconditional, complete, not tainted by sin, love for Christ. One day we'll have that. That is our struggle, is it not? We long to love Christ. But we battle because we love sin more. We love this world more. We love ourselves more than we love Christ. Though we long to love Christ in this world, it is well near impossible. But in heaven, we'll have that same love. That eternal, perfect, sinless love that the Father has for the Son that will be ours. Three final points, three final concluding thoughts to close this sermon and close John 17 when we come back the cross will be right in our faces. We will enter the valley with Christ. When we come back to the Gospel of John our Lord is making a beeline to the cross but for now, to close this sermon on John 17, just three final thoughts for you. May our hope and our confidence, assurance be this morning that His desire for us is greater than our desire for Him.
His desire for us is greater than our desire for Him. That our relationship, our fellowship with Him, that our future with Him is not dependent upon our desire. You know, Piper wrote that book, What Happens When We Don't Desire God. Well, I don't know. I don't know what happens, but I know it's okay. I don't know. It's okay. Because His desire for us is greater. Maybe you were sitting this morning and saying, My heart is cold, Pastor James. You know, singing those songs, it was just it's external. Hearing Taffa's testimony was great, but, you know, my life is in a, I'm in a different place right now, and my heart's not open to, to salvation testimonies. Your sermon, John 17, is great, but, man, I've fallen from my height. I used to long for Christ so much more than I do now. Is there any hope for me? Well, take heart. Take courage. That Christ is our, that you might be with Him is greater than you, your desire for Him. Second is that we will be with Him. We will be with Him. What a comforting thought um, that one day we will be with our Lord and Master, that our adoption to the family of Christ, family of God, will be complete. That we'll be with Him forever. Heard this week a caseworker came to our, our home and told her, man, she goes, visits foster kids, and these older kids ask her, you know, have you found a daddy for me? Have you found a mommy for me? Oh, that's heartbreaking. That is so... This sin-tainted world, there are children who long for parents and uh, they go days, weeks, years, month, you know, months, years, rest of their lives not having a family. Well, that is uh, maybe an experience for us. I understand the experience. Wanting to be with God, wanting to be with Christ, wanting to be in His household, and having to wait. But one day... Christ promised that we will be with Him. This longing will be over. No more longing for heaven. No more longing for fellowship with Christ. No more longing to have sin vanquished from our lives. No more longing to one day see Him. One day we'll be with Him. We'll, be, we'll, we'll see Him and our search, our longing will be over. Finally, in light of our Christ prayer here, uh, prepare, do not prepare for evangelism. Do not pray for missions. Prepare yourself for heaven. Prepare yourself for heaven. And doctrine, sanctification, evangelism will all take care of itself. Now how can you and I prepare ourselves for heaven? It is by loving Christ more than all things. The heaven is not where we meet, you know, our family members who have ceased. It's not going there to meet some friends or, you know, relatives. It's not about us. Heaven is about beholding Christ. It's about loving Christ. Would you want to go to heaven if Christ is not there? If Christ is not in heaven, heaven is hell for us. Heaven is heaven because Jesus Christ is there. Therefore, to prepare for heaven, love Jesus Christ. More than sin, more than this world, more than life itself. Let's pray.
O holy, gracious, and righteous Father. Lord, we are not worthy of your attention. Above all, we're not worthy of your prayer. And we're not worthy of your sacrifice of your only Son on the cross. That we might be adopted into your family and to be sons and daughters of God. Oh Lord, as we consider the heart of Christ, that He desires that we might be with Him, that we might see His glory, that we might have the same love, the love that the Father has for the Son. Oh God, our hearts are full of joy, full of satisfaction and delight. At the same time, our hearts are full of sorrow and our lack of faith that is lived out shallowness of our Christian lives and the self-centeredness of our hearts as our Lord is pouring Himself out for the glory of the Father and pouring Himself out for us we are so often uh, obsessed and concerned just with ourselves oh Lord would you forgive us oh Lord would you open our eyes to see the loveliness the beauty of Christ. And as we consider Christ through your word, may our hearts be filled with inexpressible joy. Joy that triumphs over our discontentments. Joy that triumphs over our our selfishness and our pride and and our sins. Joy that triumphs over our desires to live for this world. Oh Lord, would you grant us to prepare for heaven by loving Christ today with all our hearts, souls, and minds. Lord, we thank you so much for our study in John 17. We consider it a privilege and a stewardship to our lives, to our souls, that we will give an account to you of what we did with John 17, that now that we know its truths, may we not be as those stated in Scripture as lazy, unfaithful servants who took your truths and, and buried it. May we be servants who took your truths and lived it out boldly, courageously in this world. And the Word of God multiplied resulted in lives devoted and dedicated to you here and throughout the world so that you might be pleased with our service and our labors. God, may our longing for Christ's return to be in His presence be intensified as we consider the nearness of the time when you will return. And may the truth that, you, that we will be with you sustain our faith and cause us, O oh Lord, to run this race with endurance. O oh Lord, that you would grant each believer here much grace, much freedom to live according to these truths. O oh Lord, for the unbelievers that are here, Oh Lord, you would grant grace for them to see your purity and your holiness and righteousness. 
them to see their own bankruptcy, their own depravity, or to see their own evil. You grant them grace to repent of their sins and turn to you. And that together, even today as we break bread and drink the cup, long for you to return together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.